Mistress Esteem Elliot's Molasses Cake, Thanksgiving Stories Collection. Obed called Mistress Oxa Eli from her front porch. Step thee over to Square Belding's quick. Here's a teacup. Ask Mistress Belding for the loan of some molasses. Nothing but molasses and hot water helps the baby when he's having such a turn of colic. Beseems me he will have a fit. Make haste, Obed. At that very moment, Square Belding's little daughter, Hitty, was traveling toward Mistress Eli's for the purpose of borrowing molasses wherewith to sweeten a ginger cake. Hitty and Obed, who were of an age, met, compared notes, and then returned to their respective homes. Shortly afterwards, both of them darted forth again, bound on the same errands as before, only in different directions. Mr. Chapin, the storekeeper, hadn't set eyes on any molasses for a week. The river's frozen over, so mean and solid, he said. There's no knowing when there'll be any molasses in town. There had been very peculiar weather in Colchester during this month of October 1705. First on the 13th Old Stout, an unprecedentedly early date, had come a terrible cold snap. Lasting three days, this was followed by two days of phenomenal mildness. The river had frozen over during the cold snap, and the ice had melted during the warm days, until on the 19th it was breaking up and preparing to go out to sea. And the night of the 19th had descended a frigid blast, colder than the original one. This had arrested the broken ice, piled it up in all sorts of fantastic forms, and congealed it till it looked like a rough Alaskan glacier. After the cold wind had come a heavy snowstorm, all cold, all Colchester lay under three feet of snow. Footpaths and roads were broken out somewhat in the immediate village, but no far- farther. It was most unusual to have the river closed so early in the season, and consequently the winter supplies which were secured from New London and Norwich had now had not been laid in. Even Mr. Chapin, the storekeeper, was but poorly supplied with staples of which he ordinarily kept an abundance on hand. Therefore, when Obed and Hitty had made the tour of the neighborhood, they found but one family, that of Deacon Esteem Elliot, the richest man in the place, which had any molasses. Mistress Elliot, in spite of her wealth, was said to be none too free with her stuff and she was not minded to lend any molasses under the circumstances for a trifling foolish cake. Obed's representation of the distress of the Eli baby, however, appealed even to her, and she lent him a large spoonful of the precious liquid. That afternoon there was as much visiting about among the Colchester housewives as the drifts permitted. Such a state of things had never been known since the town was settled. No molasses, and Thanksgiving appointed for the first Thursday in November? Pray, what would Thanksgiving amount to, they inquired, with no pumpkin pies, no baked beans, no molasses cake, no proper sweetening for the rum so freely used in those days? Mistress Steam Elliot was even more troubled than the rest of Colchester, for was not her daughter and only child Prudence Anne to be married on Thanksgiving Day to the son of a great magnate in the neighboring town of Hebron? And was it not the intention to invite all of those aristocracy of both towns to be present at the marriage feast? Mistress Elliot accordingly pursued her way upon this 
this Tuesday afternoon, October 19, 1705, over to Mistress Oxa Eli's. There she found Mistress Belding, who, remembering Mistress Elliot's refusal to lend her molasses, was naturally somewhat chill in her manner. Mistress Elliot had scarcely pulled off her homespun leggings, made with stout and ample feet, and pulled out her knitting work when Mistress Camberley, the parson's wife, a lady of robust habit and voluble tongue, came in. "'And what are we do- going to do, Mistress Eli?' she burst out as soon as the door was opened at her knock. "'Not a drop of molasses to be had for love nor money, and Thanksgiving Day set for the 4th of November.' Mistress Elliot, who had a plenty of molasses, affirmed Mistress Belding with a haughty look at her unaccommodating neighbor. I'd have you know, I'd have you to know, Mistress Betty Belding, retorted Mistress Elliot, that I have a bare quart or so in my jug, and so far as I can learn, that is all that the whole town of Colchester has got to depend upon till the roads or the river can be broken to Norwich. Mistress Eli well understood this little passage at arms, for Obed had told her the whole story, but as her baby had been cured by Mistress Elliot's molasses, she did not think it proper to interfere in the matter. Neither neither did the good parson's wife, although she could not comprehend the rights of the case. She simply repeated her first question, "'What are we going to do about it? I should like to know.' "'I wonder if Thanksgiving Day could not be put off a week,' suggested Mistress Belding, who had a good head and was even reported to give such advice to her husband that he always thought best to heed it. "'Such a thing was never heard of,' cried Mistress Elliot. "'But there's no law against it,' insisted Mistress Belding boldly. "'By a week from the set day there will surely be some means of getting out the country. Then we can have a Thanksgiving that's worth the setting down to.' After a long talk, the good woman separated in some doubt, but as square after a long talk, the good women separated in some doubt, but as square building and Mr. Eli were two of the three selectmen there they were soon acquainted with the drift of the afternoon's discussion. The result of it all is thus chronicled in the town records of Colchester. As a legal town meeting held in Colchester, October 29, 1705, it was voted that whereas there was a Thanksgiving appointed to be held on the first Thursday in November, and our present circumstances being such that it cannot with convenience be attended on that day, is therefore voted and agreed by the inhabitants, as aforesaid, concluding the thing will not be otherwise then well resented, that the second Thursday of November, aforesaid, shall be set aside for that service. This proceeding was, on the whole, as the selectman had hoped that it would be, well resented among the Colchester people, but there was one household in which there was rebellion at the mandate. In the great sanded kitchen of Deacon Eastim Elliot, pretty spoilt Prudence Ann was fairly raging over it. I had set my heart on being married on Thanksgiving Day, she sobbed, and here it won't be Thanksgiving Day at all. And as for putting off a wedding, everybody knows there is no surer way of bringing ill luck down than that. I say I won't have it put off, but we can't have any party with no molasses in town. Oh dear, I might as well be married in the back kitchen with a linsey gown on as if I were the daughter of old Betty the pie woman. There. Then the proud girl would break into fresh sobs and vow vengeance upon the selectmen of Colchester. She even sent her father to expostulate with them, but it was of no use. They had known all along that the Elliots did not want the festival day put off, but nobody in Colchester minded very much if the Elliots were a little crossed. 
Prudence Ann would Prudence Ann would not face the reality till after the Sabbath was passed. On that day, the expectant bridegroom managed to break his way through the drifts from Hebron, and he was truly grieved, as he should have been, at the very unhappy state of mind of his betrothed. He avowed himself, however, in a way which argued well for the young people's future, ready to do just what Prudence Ann and her family decided was best. On Monday morning, Mistress Elliot sat down with her unreasonable daughter and had a serious talk with her. Now, Prudence Ann, she began, you must give up crying and fretting. If you are going to be married on Thursday, we have got a great deal of work to do between now and then. If you are going to wait till next week, I want to know, I want to know it. Of course, you can't have a large party if you choose to be married on the 4th, but we will ask John's folks and Aunt Susanna and Uncle Martin and Parson Camberley and his wife. We can bake enough for them with what's in the house. If you wait another week, you can probably have a better party. And now you have it all in a nutshell. Prudence Ann was historical even yet, but at last her terror of a postponed wedding overcame every other consideration. The day was set for the 4th, and the few guesses were bidden accordingly. On the morning of the wedding, on a neat shelf in the back kitchen of the Elliot residence, various delicacies were resting, which had been baked for the banquet. Mistress Elliot's molasses had suffered to make a vast cake. Mistress Elliot's molasses had sufficed to make a vast cake and several pumpkin pies. These hot from the oven had been placed in the coolness of the back kitchen until they should be ready for eating. It so happened that Miss Hitty Belding's sharp eyes as she passed Mistress Elliot's back door, bound on an errand to the house of the neighbor living just beyond, fell upon the rich golden brown of this wonderful cake. As such toothsome dainties were rare in Colchester at just this time, it is not strange that her childish soul coveted it, for Hitty was but ten years old. As she walked on, she met Obed Eli. I tell you what, Obed, said Miss Hitty, you ought to see the great molasses cake which Mistress Elliot has made for Prudence Ann's wedding. It is in her back kitchen. I saw it right by the door. Mean old thing. She wouldn't lend my mother any molasses to make us a cake. I wish I had hers. So do I, rejoined Obed with watering lips. I'm going to peek in and see it. Obed went and peeked, while Hitty sought sauntered slowly on the contemplation of the cake under the circumstances was too much for even so well brought up a boy as obed without stopping to really think what he was doing he unwound from his neck his great woolen comforter wrapped it hastily around the cake and was walking with it beside hitty in the lonely drifted country road five minutes later the hearts of the two little conspirators for they felt guilty enough beat very hard but they could not help thinking how good that cake would taste a certain Good Sir Canty's corn house stood near them in a clump of trees beside the road, and as the door was open, they crept in, gulped down great chunks of cake, distributed vast slices of what was left about their persons, Obed taking by far the lion's share, and then they parted, vowing, vowing secrecy. Nobody had seen them, and something which happened just after they had left Mr. Sellis back kitchen directed suspicion to an entirely different quarter. Not two minutes after Obed's comforter had been thrown around the great cake of a cake, a beautiful calf, the pride of Mistress Elliot's heart had been heart and which was usually kept tied in the barn just beyond the back kitchen somehow unfastened her rope and came strolling along past the open back door. The odor of the pumpkin pies naturally interested her, and she proceeded to lick up the delicious creamy filling of one after another with great zest. 
Just as she was finishing the very last one of the four or five which had stood there, Mistress Elliot appeared upon the scene to find her precious dainties faded like the baseless fabric of a vision, leaving behind them only a few broken bits of pie crust, a series of short, sharp shocks, as described in the Mikado, then rent the air, summoned Prudence Anne and Delk. A series of short, sharp cries then rent the air, summoning Prudence Anne and Delkai, Delcy, the maid at the scene of the calamity. Let us draw a veil over the succeeding ten minutes. At the end of that time, Prudence Anne lay up on the sitting room lounge, or settle, as they called it then, passing from one fainting fit into another, and Delcy was out in search of the doctor and such family friends as were likely to be of service in this unexpected dilemma. It was, of course, supposed that the calf had devoured the whole of the mighty cake as well as the pies. It was lucky for Obed and Hitty that the poor animal could not speak. As it was, nobody so much as thought of accusing them of the theft, though they were plenty of crumbs in their pockets while the death of the innocent heifer was loudly demanded by the angry prudent Anne. It was only by artifice and diplomacy that Mistress Elliot was able to preserve the life of her favorite, which, if it had really eaten the cake, must surely have perished. The wedding finally came off on the 4th, through, though there was a pouting bride, and nuts, apples, and cider were said to be the chief refreshments. Prudence Anne, however, probably secured the good luck of, for which she was so anxious, for there is no record nor tradition to the contrary in all Colchester. Nothing would probably ever have been known of the real fate of the famous cake if the tale had not been told by Mistress Hitty in her old age to her grandchildren with appropriate warnings to them never to commit similar misdemeanors themselves. Little Obed Eli, the active agent in the theft, died not long after it. His tombstone, very black and crumbled, stands in one of the old burying grounds of the town, but nothing is carved upon it as to the cause of his early death. The story of the Colchester molasses famine and the consequent postponement of their thanksgiving naturally spread throughout all the surrounding towns. It was said that in one of these parties, a, that in one of these, a party of boys loaded an old cannon with molasses and ferreted in the direction of Colchester. How they did this has not been stated, and some irreverent disbelievers in the more uncommon of our grandfather's stories have profanely declared it a myth. 